From the hallowed hallways of Shed High School, from WSHDLP Eastport, this is Round the World with your host, Cracklin' Jane from Eastport, Maine. Stay tuned for historical 78 RPM recordings from around the world. Welcome, dear listeners. Round the World is broadcasting this hour from Buster Kingsley's Repair Emporium, whose motto is, We can fix anything, or quadruple your money back. No matter what you have that is busted, broken, or trashed, don't toss it. Bring it on down to Buster Kingsley's Repair Emporium. Kingsley's expert staff of fixer-uppers and rebuilders, in their distinctive white uniforms with the red lapels, are standing by to mend whatever it is that's cracked, crushed, or just not working right. The Kingsley compound features five acres of engineering know-how. And just inside the main gate here, we find the state-of-the-art automotive repair paradise and mechanic Big Bill and his 1946 rhythm band, who claims, I can fix it.
this is Cracklin Jane, and we're in the automotive division of Buster Kingsley's Repair Emporium. We just heard mechanic Big Bill, along with his 1946 rhythm band, and he says, I can fix it. Buster's crew is guaranteed to restore any old junker to its former glory. Billy Murray is here to tell us about an old 1913 bucket of bolts that could use the Buster touch. He'd have to get out and get under to fix up his automobile. Automobile. <laughs> 
Bob Lawrence complaining that his wagon wheel is broken, and instead of bringing it to the junkyard, Paul Whiteman and his 1936 orchestra helped him haul it in to Buster Kingsley's Repair Emporium for expert mending. Billy Murray also told about a 1913 vehicle in severe need of a tune-up, saying about the owner that he'd have to get out and get under to fix up his automobile. And Mr. Kingsley himself has graciously agreed to take the time to speak with us. Well, the secret to our seemingly uncanny ability to fix anything is a top-secret process developed in-house here involving a multi-dimensional scanner that can take any object and figure out what is missing, worn down, cracked, or, or broken. Then often a 3D printer can create replacement parts. Uh, for ragged clothing, even with complex topology such as this previously torn petticoat, here with all its uh, laces and frou-frou, it can recreate the original garment in three dimensions, then weave fibers to patch the missing or torn areas of the garment. But first, all items go through the Buster's patented three-part cleaning process. Okay, well, here is a musical peon to said torn petticoat from 1924, featuring McConnell's four-leaf shamrocks. Thank you. 
your partner and hit the floor. Howard and his cotton pickers described a 1947 fiddler with the patch on his pants, a satisfied customer of Buster Kingsley's expert tailors. Before that, a 1924 torn petticoat was fed through Buster's patented scanner, allowing him to accurately recreate all flounces and ruffles. McConnell's four-leaf shamrocks gave a musical tone description of said item. And speaking of patching up old clothes, Coleman's orchestra will now perform a 1920 instrumental interlude entitled simply Patches. Thank you. 
The Broken Record. Amazingly, Buster's engineering department has created a methodology for using artificial intelligence to seamlessly repair cracked or even broken 78 RPM records. That was Winji Manone and his orchestra with the 1936 Broken Record, before which Coleman's 1920 orchestra provided musical praise of patches. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. Round the World is broadcasting from Buster Kingsley's Repair Emporium. Folks are flocking in with all kinds of strange items that don't work like they used to, hoping to avail themselves of Buster's miraculous restorative powers. We're here with Mr. Buster Kingsley, and uh, what are we seeing now? Uh, this is our toy repair department. Uh, we encourage the public to bring in any totally busted-up toy, regardless of how the dog has chewed it or slobbered off the paint or, or the rubber wheels have rotted away. And we will search a galaxy-wide database of all gimcracks and bric-a-brac ever sold throughout the history of the universe. Then uh, we'll repair and repaint based on the specifications of the toy when it was brand new. Simply amazing. Uh, we even specialize in partial toys dug up from archaeological sites, uh, creating museum-quality items kids can actually play with. Al Jolson has just wandered in and is filling out the repair ticket for a 1916 broken doll. Let's hear his description. I wonder why You call 
Welcome back to Buster Kingsley's Repair Emporium, where Al Jolson described a 1916 broken doll, and Rudy Wiedef's Californians just brought in an unspecified 1921 broken toy. So, Mr. Kingsley, just what does your staff do when the repair ticket is inadequately filled out? Well, we just do our best. Uh, why, one time we received a strange item made of cast iron with some internal electronics, and the repair ticket just said, Mercator's broken. Well, of course, there is no such thing as a Mercator. So we took it apart and gave it a thorough cleaning and put it back together and filled out the report to say, Replaced Mercator. The customer seemed satisfied. Well, here's another couple of baffling repair requests. They, they say to fix it without retelling what it is or what's wrong with it. This one here, which only says, get it fixed, was submitted by the 1925 Dixie Stompers.
Sam and his washboard band in 1943 saying, Stop and Fix It, before which we heard the 1925 Get It Fixed by the Dixie Stompers. In neither case do they say what needs to be fixed or what's wrong with it in the first place. A challenge for repair personnel. Now, tell me, Mr. Kingsley, uh, with your quadruple-your-money-back repair guarantee, I know our listeners are wondering... Have you ever had someone bring in something that couldn't be fixed? Well, one time someone brought in a grimy pair of shoes so full of holes they were flopping around. We completely restored them, but the customer was unhappy because now they were like new and gave him blisters and he had to break them in all over again. And, uh, Mr. Kingsley, what kind of repair is conducted here? Um, here's where we repair broken hearts, uh, broken spirits, uh, People who feel disappointed with life. So you're repairing actual people? There's nothing we don't repair. Okay, well, here's Bill Boyd and his 1948 Cowboy Ramblers, closed for repairs. I 
I saw a sign out on the highway. I understood its meaning from the start. It seemed to tell my own sad story. I ought to wear that sign upon my heart. Closed for repairs, closed for repairs. My heart is breaking and nobody cares. Somebody lied, somebody cried. My heart is closed for repairs. Just believe if only some kind one had told me that you were only planning to deceive. I hope someday that you'll find someone who'll teach you how a broken heart can ache, and then you'll know the pain you caused me. Still, darling, I forgive you your mistake. Closed for repairs. My heart is breaking, and nobody cares. Somebody lied. Somebody cried. My heart is closed for repairs. How do you mend a broken heart? How do you know just where to start? How do you put it together again after it's been broken? How do you know just what to say after your blue skies turn to gray? How do you call back foolish words after they've been spoken? Puzzles always puzzle me. They leave me so upset. Riddles always rattle me. I've never solved one yet. So tell me, how do you mend a broken heart? How do you find a missing part? How do you put it together again after it's been broken? Together again after it's been broken. 
How do you know just what to say After your blue skies turn to gray How do you call back foolish words After they've been spoken Puzzles always puzzle me They leave me so upset And riddles always rattle me I've never solved one yet So tell me how do you mend a broken heart How do you find that missing part How do you put it together again After it's been broken We heard Bill Boyd and his Cowboy Ramblers with Closed for Repairs. Then Eddie Kirk asked, How do you mend a broken heart? Both those from 1948. So, Mr. Kingsley, what is the answer? How does your staff approach the mending of a broken heart? Well, once again, we utilize state-of-the-art technology developed right here at the Buster Kingsley's Repair Emporium. Uh, For broken hearts, we put the person through a full-body scanner that reads their past going back all the way to their infancy. And and then this creates a personalized treatment regimen. So what kinds of treatments are we talking about here? Well, you never know what the scanner is going to recommend. Uh, One time it said, give the person a snow shovel and have them go around the neighborhood shoveling other people's walks. Then when they're good and tired, give them a cup of hot chocolate and tell them jokes while they drink it. For another person, it said, put that person in a quiet corner with a jigsaw puzzle and just leave them alone. Or let them read through old Superman comic books. And it looks like Stuart Hamblin is going to dare you to repair his broken heart. The 1949, let's see you fix it. It's all your fault, it's been a game you played it from the start. I rue the day you came my way and left with my poor heart. You stole my sleep, my appetite, that's nothing new to you. But please bring back that heart of mine and make it all brand new. Let's see you fix it, make it all brand new. It's in a million pieces since you got through. You made a promise we'd never part. You broke that promise like you broke my heart. I never thought I'd live to see a bandit running round with curly hair and crimson lips and eyes so big and brown. You got the pieces, it's up to you. Now let's see you fix it. Make it all brand new There is no cure for what I got I'm a lick right from the start Tis odd to see, but here's for me a man without a heart. There is no shop could put it back, there is no kind of glue. 
the only one can do the job is little old faithless you. Let's see you fix it, make it all brand new. It's in a million pieces since you got through. You made a promise we'd never part, but you broke that promise like you broke my heart. I never thought I'd live to see. A bandit running round with curly hair and crimson lips and eyes so big and brown. You got all the pieces. It's up to you. Let's see you fix it. Make it all brand new. Hamblin threw down the 1949 challenge, let's see you fix it. Then Hamfoot Ham and the Harlem Hamfats warned that the abuse of drugs will take away your health and beauty. In the 1939, that's going to ruin your beauty spot. 
So, Mr. Kingsley, does your staff actually deal with treating addictions? Well, for broken spirits or people needing recovery from drug abuse, we put the person in suspended animation until the body has time to mend itself. Then their beauty will eventually be restored. Oh, and look at the time. I better head back to the WSHDLP studios. Thank you, Mr. Kingsley. And uh, as I'm finding my way to the front gate, I see there's also a full-time professional umbrella repair person with Joseph C. Smith and his orchestra providing the 1917 soundtrack, Umbrellas to Mend.
The Four King Sisters with Buddy Cole and his 1945 orchestra. A tender word will mend it all. And this wraps up the musical portion of Round the World today. We got the exclusive scoop on the top secret inner workings of this week's generous sponsor, Buster Kingsley's Repair Emporium. We spoke to Buster himself and found out how they managed to repair anything, no matter how decayed, crushed, or liquefied, restoring it to like new condition, including old cars, toys and games, shoes and umbrellas, and even mending broken hearts. This is Round the World. Please visit us at cracklinjane.com. We pause now for station identification. You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. And welcome, dear friends, to Hour 2 of Round the World with Cracklin' Jane. It seems Buster is not the only one breaking into the repair racket. We hear next a 1950 episode of the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, in which Phil attempts to fix the furnace. So let's listen. And now the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, written by Ray Singer and Dick Chevrolet, with Elliot Lewis, Walter Tetley, Robert North, Janine Roos, Anne Whitfield, Walter Sharp and his music, yours truly, Bill Foreman, and starring Alice Faye and Phil Harris. Last night, Phil and Frankie attended a stag party at their American Legion post. It was quite an affair, and they stayed a little later than they anticipated. And now as we look in, our two heroes have just returned and are standing in front of Phil's house. Oh, oh Curly, that sure was a swell party, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, but this is no time for me to be getting home. No, it's not that late. Yeah, it's a beautiful night. Look how bright the moon is. By the way, what time is it? Seven o'clock, and that's the sun. <laughs> Frankie, I'm in trouble. Alice let me go out with the boys last night, but I can't let her find me coming in at this time. Why not? She only gave me a six-hour pass. <laughs> Look, Remley, I forgot my keys. Now, we're going to have to sneak in through that cellar window. Oh, that's a fine thing. Guy invites me to spend the night at his house, and I got to sneak in through the window. Curly, <laughs> I ain't going to do it. You can go in through the cellar window. I got a smarter way of getting in. How? I'm going to ring the bell and wake out. Don't touch that! <laughs> Guy can get killed that way. Curly, stand up to your wife. Assert yourself. Tell her off. Let her know who's the boss. And Quiet, you single man, you. Assert <laughs> yourself. Now, come on. Let's get in this cellar window here. Wait till I open it. There it is. Now, go ahead, Remley. You jump down first. Curly, aren't you ashamed of yourself sneaking in through the cellar? You do this often? Of course not. I've been married eight years, and this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. Yeah, it's dark down there. Which way do I jump? Well, I always jump forward and a little to the left. <laughs> that way I land on the mattress I got stashed on. Remley, go ahead, jump. Okay, here I go. <laughs> Gotta get a new mattress, one of these. <laughs> Roll out of my way. Now I'm coming down. <clears throat> you see? It's easy. Yeah. What the heck did you land on? 
pile of cans and threw me up against the furnace. I think I put my foot through a pipe. Through a pipe? Oh, no. Oh, Remley, I hope you didn't break anything. Well, I'm too tired to look now. Come on, let's get up to bed. Yeah. I'm tired, too. Mm. Come on, we'll sneak up to the guest room, and then we'll get some shut-eye, huh? Now, look, let's be quiet about going up these stairs. Sure. <laughs> well, we made it without... <laughs> did that all right, didn't we? <laughs> Alice never did wake up, huh? Oh, boy. How'd I get to bed? I'm so tired, I'm not going to take my clothes off. No, me neither. Just going to take my shoes off. Are you through? <laughs> or are you going to sleep with the fourth one on? <laughs> Three shoes, that's pretty good, huh? <laughs> I knew he had some talent somewhere. <laughs> oh, this bed feels so wonderful, Frankie. Yeah, doesn't it? Uh, well, good night, Curly. Good night, Frankie. Uh, Good morning, Philip. Well, <laughs> little punk, you made me fall out of bed. Willie, will you please go away? Get up now, Philip. Get out of bed or people will call you a sleepyhead. <laughs> Thank you, Mother Goose. What are you doing here so early Why, anyway? We have a golfing date. Come on, get up. Get up, you rascal. Get out of here before I unscrew your head. <laughs> Why don't you want to get up? Philip, did you... Did you get to bed late? Of course not. I, I, well, I just don't feel well. I, well, I was sick when I went to bed last night. You must have been sick. You didn't even stop to put your rag curlers on. <laughs> All right, you got a small laugh. Now get lost. Okay, well, I'll go downstairs and break every one of your old master painter records. <laughs> no eyes. Get out of here. No eyes. I wonder if we could frame him and have him sent to reform school. <laughs> All I want to do is go to sleep. Oh, boy. Me too. Good night, Frankie. Good night. just finished another one at Monogram. <laughs> they didn't wake you up, did they, Frankie? Oh, no, no. I'm just lying here thinking. Thinking? Hmm? Of what? Next time they come through, let's give them real guns. <laughs> What 
kind of a joint are you running here, Curly? All right, forget about it. Let's get some sleep. No, huh? I'd rather stay awake. What for? I'd hate to miss Olsen and Johnson when they... <laughs> Please, Remley, I'm too tired for tired jokes, huh? Good night. All right. Oh, quiet at last. What a crush on you, sweetie. Quiet, Alice. Oh, quiet, will you? Stop that back and cut it off. Curly, is there an old Indian trail running through here? <laughs> Frankie, what are you two doing sleeping in here? Sleeping, she says. If she wasn't my wife, I'd snatch her bald. <laughs> what are you two doing in the guest room? You didn't get in late, did you, Phil? Nah. <laughs> Whatever gave you that idea? Well, I waited up for you. What time did you get home, dear? I got home at exactly what time did you fall asleep, darling? <laughs> o'clock. Just miss me. I got in at 12.05. Are you sure it was five after 12? Well, I'm positive. I can prove it. Frankie was with me. Well, Frankie, what time did you get in? Seven o'clock. <laughs> you want to make something of it? <laughs> Honey, will you listen to me? He's just kidding you. Now, you don't think I'd stay out all night, do you? Nah. <laughs> You trust me, don't you? Nah. <laughs> Couldn't you two hire a room in a motel and do this? I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> you don't think I'd stay away from you all night, do you, beautiful? Oh, I hope not, precious. I couldn't bear to be away from you that long, angel. Oh, I know you couldn't, sweetheart. Oh, I gotta break up this marriage. <laughs> There weren't any women at this party, were there? Heavens to Betsy, no. <laughs> should say not. I don't know why you're so suspicious of me, Alice. You know I'm as innocent as a newborn babe. <laughs> Speaking of babe... <laughs> How'd she get in here? Speaking of babe, Curly. I heard that. <laughs> I found this lipstick-stained handkerchief of yours at the party last Wait night. Wait a minute. How'd you know it's mine? Got your monogram? Let me see that handkerchief. Mm hmm Say, Phil, this is yours. Look at that monogram. Well, uh, yeah. P-H. <laughs> and lipstick. L-I-P-S-T. I know how to spell it. <laughs> I uh, brought the handkerchief home so you can wash it, Alice. I hope you can get the lipstick off. Stop saying that. Those are not lipstick stains. What are those red marks? I ate a jelly apple and shut up. <laughs> the idea is showing Alice a handkerchief with lipstick stains on it. Are you trying to get her to leave me? Yeah. <laughs> and Alice, when you go, take the kids with you so I can get some sleep. <laughs> Frankie, that's my lipstick. I kissed Phil before he left last night. By the way, honey, you'll have to get up and fix the furnace. It's not working. Well, why don't you go down and look at it, honey? You can... Furnace! Well, if you want me to, I'll go down and... No, 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 no. You stay right where you are. Frankie and me can take care of that. Come on, Frankie, get up. We've got to fix the furnace. <laughs> Wait a minute now. Stop crying. We've got to fix it, so get up and put your three shoes on. Now, come on. All right. If I ever sleep in this house again, I ought to have both my heads examined. <laughs> I never saw two fellows get dressed so fast. 
<laughs> oh, well, while they're gone, I'll finish my vacuuming and my song. I've got a crush on you, sweetie pie. All the day and night time, hear me sigh. I never had the least notion that I could fall with so much emotion. Could you cool? Could you care for a cunning cottage? We could share. The world will pardon my mush. Cause I've got a crush, my baby, on you. Remley, you're certainly running true to form. You've certainly messed up this furnace. You landed on the blower unit and ruined it completely. Now we got to fix it. We got to fix it? I've already done my share. I broke it. You fix it. <laughs> Come on upstairs. Go back to Come bed. back here. What? Well, we can't let Alice know we broke it. You know that. Why not? Oh, you don't know that kid's Irish temper. When she gets mad, she's a regular Victor McLaughlin. <laughs> well, you mean two big, strong men like us can't stand up to a weak 155-pound female? <laughs> Between the two of us, we can fracture her. Remley, will you listen to me? We gotta fix it. Now, can't you understand if we fix it, it'll make Alice happy? Alice. Always got to make Alice happy. Our lives have to revolve around Alice. Sometimes I'm sorry we married that woman. <laughs> she always has to be catered to. Started with the honeymoon. You wanted to go to Honolulu, she wanted to go to Niagara Falls. So what happened? The three of us wound up at Niagara Falls. <laughs> All right. Now let's get busy and fix the furnace. I had a miserable head cold the whole two weeks we were there. Will you stop? <laughs> let's get to work on this furnace. You broke the blower that forces the hot air upstairs. Now, we're going to have to get a new one, and I got news for you. They're very expensive. Buy a cheap one. Where? <laughs> I know a guy. <laughs> A friend of mine who runs a war surplus story has that. A... That's all. If a friend of yours has a war surplus story, he probably got the stuff from the losing side. <laughs> Wait a minute, Curly. I resent that. I don't care what you resent. I'm not buying anything from your friend's war surplus store. Okay. But Yukisaki has some wonderful buys. <laughs> 
save your breath. For years, I've let you talk me into getting things, buying things, fixing things, but now the revolution has come. I'm getting my own stuff, and I'm getting it in a legitimate appliance store. Now, you stay here and keep Alice out of, this, out of that cellar down here, and I'll be right back pretty quick, quick, quick. What's the three quicks for? Well, the first one means I'll be back fast. Mm-hmm. The second one is the name of a magazine which has a picture and a story of me, Alice, and the kids in the current issue. <laughs> What's the third quick for? The picture in the magazine is so good, I thought I'd name the magazine twice. <laughs> I'll see you, quick. That's about time you got back, Curly. Have you got the blower? Yep. Got it right here. Yeah, did you get it at the appliance shop? Well, not exactly. Uh, they wanted too much money, so I had a great idea. I went someplace else to get it. Where'd you go? War surplus store. <laughs> oh. When I asked you to patronize my friend Yukisaki, you wouldn't do it. You had to find your own place. I'll bet you got taken. I did not. How much did this stuff cost you? 50 yen. <laughs> He's a very nice guy <laughs> I told you Yeah, I like him And he isn't the kind Who tries to take you, you know Did he say you're a regular blower? Well, not exactly uh, He talked me into something That's even better What? A wind tunnel <laughs> Very shrewd by Yeah Sure was You see, this wind tunnel Is better than an ordinary blower See, this will really force the air through the house. How do we put this in? Simple. All we got to do is to force hot air from the furnace into the house, right? Right. But how do we get hot air into the furnace? Stick your heads in the grate and talk to each other. <laughs> hey, Julius, how'd you get down here? Miss Faye told me you were down here fixing the furnace. You mind if I watch while you're doing it? Have you finished lousing it up already? <laughs> I know what I'm doing, kid. Now, look, Remley, all we have to do is to take the thingamabob and attach it to the whatchamacallit. Then we raise the who's-it, lift it over the thingamajig, and slide it into the what's-it. You know all the technical times, don't you? <laughs> well, you would, too, if you spent four years studying engineering at the Massachusetts Institute to tech facility. <laughs> Caltech. <laughs> Curly, you better let me do it. Now, there's nothing to installing this. Listen closely, it's a cinch. All we do is disconnect the armature, run the conduit through the colliery shaft, connect it up to the rheostatic firmament, then raise the template till it bisects the transitory carburetor. You understand? Of course. <laughs> what do you mean, of course? What did he say? He said there's... He said, there's nothing to installing this. Listen closely, it's a cinch. Then what? Then he started talking shorthand, and I lost it. <laughs> Curly, there's only one thing that puzzles me. This thing's pretty powerful. How do we cut down the blower pressure? <laughs> I knew you'd have to come to me sooner or later, right? <laughs> hey, it's easy. Now, look, it's got three speeds, low, medium, and high. Uh, Yuki said if we want it low, we attach the first wire to the second post. Or is it the second wire to the third post? <laughs> or was it the third wire to the first post? Hey, let's play it safe and connect all three wires to all three posts. <laughs> this is what is known as moronic electronics. 
You know something, Frankie? You got something there? It's a wonderful idea. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you're a genius, isn't he, Julius? Yeah. Mr. Emily, you've got a great brain. Where'd you get it? <laughs> oh, it's nothing. I know, but where'd you get it? <laughs> now, will you keep quiet, kid? Now, look, Remley, you put the blower in place, and Julius, you hook up the wires. What are you going to do? You laborers need entertainment, so I think I'll sing to you. <laughs> Have you ever passed the corner of the fourth and grand? Where a little bundle of rhythm runs a shoeshine stand People gather round and they clap their hands He's a great big bundle of joy He pops a boogie-woogie rag The Chattanooga shoeshine boy He charges you a nickel just to shine one shoe Makes the oldest kind of leather look like new Feel as though you want to dance when he gets through Cause he's a great big bundle of joy He pops that boogie-woogie rag The Chattanooga shine boy But it's a wonder that the rag don't tap The way he makes it pop Bop! You ought to hear him fan the air Hobbity, hibbity, hibbity, hobbity, hobbity, hibbity, hop He opens up for business when the clock strikes nine Likes to get them early, that's when they're stealing fine Yes, everybody gets a little rise and shine From that great big bundle of joy He pops that boogie-woogie rag The Chattanooga shoe shine boy Yeah, that's fine. Say, boy, what's your name? Scatman Roth. Oh, Scatman Roth, huh? Mm hmm Well, that's... I'm just going to call you Roth. Yeah. That's what I'm going to call you. Is that all right, Roth? Yeah. I'm going to tell you one thing, Roth. You lay down a lot of cloth. Yeah. But it's a wonder that that rag don't tap the way he makes it snap. You ought to hear him fan in the air With a slappy-wap-bap, slappy-wap-bap Slappy-wap-bappity with a bap-bap-da-bap He opens up for business when the clock strikes nine Says he likes to get them early Says that's when there's a, a feeling fine Cause everybody gets a lot of that rise and shine With that great big bundle of joy He pops that boogie-woogie rag The Chattanooga shoe shine boy Ah, uh, Balsa, this is what you call flogging the full shine. Yeah? Well, look at that. Say, what would you do if I'd lay down a half? Oh, man, a half would make me laugh. Yeah? Because <laughs> he's the Chattanooga shoe shine boy. Curly, we got the blower all wired up and ready to install. Let's try it. Wait, huh? wait a minute. What's the matter? 
to remember this now. Whoever turns the switch on has to stand in front of the wind tunnel. Might be dangerous. <laughs> oh. Let Julius do it, huh? <laughs> Wait a minute. How are we going to get him to turn it on? Child psychology. We'll make a game out of it, and he'll be begging us to let him do it. Now, get this. Hey, gee, Frankie, it's going to be fun testing this blower. I can't wait to turn it on. Oh, wait a minute, Curly. I want to turn it no, on. No, no, I want to turn it on. Don't be selfish, fellas. How about me? Oh, do you want to turn it on, Julius? No. <laughs> this thing ain't going to work. Well, it might. Turn it on and see. Okay. Stand back, Remin, here. Okay, Julius. Push the switch. All right, here goes. You see, I told you. <laughs> Look at him take off. Knew he went. Hey, he's airborne. Girly, look, he's heading for the wall. Bank to the left, kid. Hey, raise your flaps and lower your landing gear. Whoa. Well, he crashed. I guess he ain't ready to solo yet. Get me off this wall. The air pressure got me pinned on. I can't breathe. <laughs> Nothing happened to you. What's going on down there? Oh, Alice, Alice, don't come down. The stairs are right in line with the wind tunnel. What are you talking about? I'm coming down and speed. Oh, yeah. take off. It blew her right back upstairs again. Remley, pull them wires out. Turn off that dust. Yeah, okay. Turn it off. Here we go. Oh. Alice, Alice, are you all right? Yes. Yes, I'm all right. But wait till I come down and get my hands on you. Bill Harris, I... Let's get out of here. She's got that McLaughlin look. Where we go? To Yukasaki's. He's got a used bomb shelter. Come on. We have a distinguished visitor here today, Judge Harry C. Westover of the National Safety Council. As a representative of the National Safety Council, it gives me great pleasure, Phil and Alice, to present you with this award of merit for exceptional service to the cause of safety in 1949. The recordings you made for National Safety Council have been heard all over our nation and through them, you have helped reduce our appalling ho home accident toll. These awards are, are made to a very select few each year who have contributed their times and talents to the cause of public safety. Congratulations and best wishes to you two very generous and sincere people. Well, on behalf of Alice, myself, thank you very much, Judge Westover. Thank you. Thank you, and good night, everybody. Good night. <laughs> You are listening to WSHDLP Eastport. We've just heard a 1950 episode of the Phil Harris Alice Faye Show, in which Phil attempted to fix the furnace. Now, stay tuned for another 1950 radio classic, this time the FBI in Peace and War, in an episode entitled The Fixer. The FBI in Peace and War.
Another great story based on Frederick L. Collins' copyrighted book, The FBI in Peace and War. Drama, thrills, action. Tonight's story, The Fixer. All right, mister, do what you're told. Open that cash box. All right, now put the money in this bag. Now close the bag. Shove it over here. Now you stay right there, your face to the wall, understand? If you don't, you won't live to tell your grandchildren about this. I told you to stay. I told you. Get going. The minute this alley will be crawling with cops. Well, what happened? You heard me, Wally. Get going. From time to time, the Bureau had come across the name and activities of one Fred Dunkirk, a three-time loser. He was brought to our attention for the last time following a daring daylight robbery of an Akron, Ohio supermarket on April 14, 1955. The manager of the market, who was shot in the shoulder, identified the criminal as Dunkirk. Under the provisions of the National Stolen Properties Act, the Bureau was called in. Agent Reynolds and I were assigned and left for Akron to cooperate with the local police in the search for Dunkirk. FBI. It says right here in the paper the FBI is cooperating. Fred, what are we going to do? Oh, stop the ball and that's what I get taking on a kid like you. Still green behind the ears. If you didn't shoot that man... Ah, I should have killed him. Identifying me. I, I should have shut his mouth for good. We've got to get out. We can't stay We're here. We're staying. But, Fred... You heard what I said before, Wally. We're staying until Dolan gets here. But he can't do us any good now. Oh, no. Charlie, Dolan's got ways of fixing things. So we'll wait and see. like this, you're asking the impossible, Fred. Well, you told me to come to you any time, didn't you, Mr. Dolan? Yes. You said with your connections, you could fix anything. I said practically anything, but you're in the worst kind of a jam. Positive identification has been made. You, a three-time loser, shooting that man. I didn't ask you to come over here to give me a rundown. I asked for help. You have to look at the picture from a practical standpoint. Fred, we better get going. Shut up, Willie. But he's... Nice said shut up. And the answer is no, Mr. Dolan? I didn't say that, Fred. I just said you're asking... For the impossible, I know. But do you really think it's impossible? Well, it would be very difficult. <laughs> That's different. And very expensive. I didn't expect it to be free. $10,000. What? You said you didn't expect it to be free, didn't you? 10000 Papers said your take from the robbery was 20000 All I want is half. Half? That's all. Half? How do you like the nerve of this guy, Wally? Well, what's the difference how much it is as long as we get off? Who's asking you? 10000 after all the trouble. Three-time losers can't be choosers. Oh, try to be funny. I'm not. Just looking at the practical side again. Freddy's right. I'd uh, listen to Wally if I were you, Fred. I don't need advice from a kid like him. I'm only thinking of you. I'll think for myself. All right, Fred, you think it over. Fred, there is a time. Wait. 10000 All right. All right, but a positive fix. Don't worry, you'll get your money's worth. But just to be sure, you get paid after I'm in the clear. Fair enough. All right. What's the setup? I have a friend, a nice old lady named Ma Fergus, who runs a chicken farm outside Glenview. She's boarded clients of mine before. You'll stay with Ma until I say it's safe enough for you to come back to town. Which will be when? Just as soon as I fix you up with an airtight alibi. Okay. 
Wally, get ready. Yeah, sure, Fred. Wait, Wally. You're not going with him. What? What do you mean he's not going with me? Wally's staying in town. Why? No one knows he's involved. He's in the clear. I still want him with me. He stays here in town. Now listen. You listen. You're in a jam up to your ears. You want me to get you out of it? All right, I'll do just that. But only on one condition. What I say goes. No ifs, ands, or buts. Exactly the way I want it, straight down the line. To get a line on Fred Dunkirk, Agent Reynolds and I began with the usual routine legwork. Checking all places he had been known to frequent. Questioning all persons with whom he had been known to consort. In the meantime, Dunkirk was hiding out at a small chicken farm less than 20 miles from Akron. Don't those chickens ever stop that racket? Oh, you'll get used to it in time, Fred. I won't be around here long enough to get used to it, Mrs. Ferguson. Call me Ma. That's what all my boys call me. I'm not one of your boys. Oh, sure you are. Every one of you who stays with me, I consider like a son of my own. I lost my own boy ten years ago this week. He died in the electric chair. Too bad. <laughs> Albert was a good son. He never held out on his ball. He brought me home every penny he ever stole. Would you like to see his picture? No. Oh, you remind me so much of him. All right, so I remind you of him. Let me alone. Um, can I get you something to drink, Fred? No. You got some nice elderberry wine. I made it myself. I don't want any. Oh, you're all upset, aren't you? Oh, that's a pity. Albert used to be the same way. And he'd frown just the way you do, too. Look, will you get away and let me alone? I want to help you, boy. That's why we're here on Earth, to help each other. Mothers especially. Uh... Now, you just tell your troubles to Ma Fergus. She'll understand. Now, what's wrong, Fred? Now, look. <laughs> Sitting here for a week, twiddling my thumbs, listening to those stinking chickens. That's what's wrong, if you want to know. If you just relaxed and, and considered your stay here a vacation, it'd do your world a good. Nothing's going to do me any good until I hear from Dolan that everything is all right. You just leave it to Mr. Dolan. He's a fine man. He'll fix everything. Week today. Haven't heard from him in a week. What's taking so long? No, no, no. Don't get getting yourself upset more. Just you remember, son, what I used to tell my Albert. Rome or an airtight alibi wasn't built in a day. Where are you calling from? Ma Fergus Place. At least you have the good sense to stay there. Didn't I tell you not to phone me? Didn't I say I'd get in touch with you when I'm ready? Well, it's been over a week. It may be another week, even two. You're sitting high and dry. I want to know what's going on. What about what? He's all right. Well, I want to talk to him. Send him out here. Are you crazy? Then tell him to phone me. It's important. Right now, the only important thing is doing this my way. But you've got to say to Wally can wait. Unless you want to spend the rest of your life in prison. How much longer, Mr. Dolan? Well, like I told Fred, another week, maybe two. Can't see him before. What do you want to see him about? Well, just talk. About what? Nothing special. Then it can wait. Anybody ask you questions yet? No, not yet. The FBI is asking about Fred all around, I understand. FBI? And they may get around to you. FBI? Don't let it throw you. I told you what to answer in case, didn't I? Yeah. You remember? Yeah, I think so. Now, don't think. Be sure. The alibi for you was all set. Her name? Uh, Claire Wallace. And you were where with Miss Wallace all that afternoon? The movies. She'll bear that out, so there's nothing for you to worry about, okay? Yeah, okay, Mr. Dolan. 
Oh, uh, what about the alibi for Fred? Well, that's a tougher job. I told you it'll take another week or two. Wally. Yeah. What'd you want to talk to Fred about? I told yeah, you. Yeah, nothing special, but it is something special, isn't it? No. Look, if I'm going to help you and Fred, you've got to take me into your confidence. You've got to trust it's me. It's nothing important, honest. Wally. Honest. It's about the money, isn't it? What? The 20000 it's about that. No. Oh, come on, Wally. No, it, it's not about that. You know where it is. Please, huh? You're the only one outside of Fred who knows where that money is hidden. Mr. Dolan, please, I don't want to talk about all it. All right, Wally, if you don't want to talk about it, all right, we won't. <laughs> Ten days, we continued the legwork, questioning anybody and everybody who had had any connection with Fred Dunker. One fruitless interview led to another. We were finally down to rock bottom, which in this case was the Acme Billiard Parlor. Uh, nine ball in the corner pocket. Mr. Gregg? Yeah? Wally Gregg? That's right. Federal Bureau of Investigation. What? We'd like to talk to you. Let's talk, talk. Oh, talk. Yeah, sure. Uh, it will be with you in a minute, Harry. Uh, somebody wants to talk to me. What's it about? Dunkirk. What? Fred Dunkirk. Oh, oh, him. What can you tell us about him? Uh, Fred Dunkirk? Well, all I can tell you is what I've been reading in the papers about him. Nothing more? What more should I know? You tell us. I don't know anymore. Why ask me? We found out only this morning that you and Dunkirk were friends. Well, I, I wouldn't say friends. What would you say? Well, just acquaintances. We were told more. No more, just acquaintances. Where and when have you seen him since the 14th? 14th? The day of the robbery. I haven't seen him since then. When before the 14th? I don't know. How am I supposed to remember? We'll help you. You saw him here in this billiard parlor the day before the 14th. You played with him. Remember now? No. But but if you say so, I guess it's true. Where were you with him on the 14th? Oh, now, wait a minute. Who said I was with him that day? We didn't say. We're just asking. Well, you got a funny way of asking. I wasn't with him that day. How come you remember that? Because I happen to remember I had a date. What kind of a date? The usual kind with a girl. You want a name? You seem very anxious to give it. Look, you can ask me anything you want about that day. I'll tell you who I was with, where I was, anything you want to know. I got nothing to hide, so go ahead and ask. Back to the fixer in just a moment. Friends, this is Jimmy Wallington. You know, many great men have attained the highest office in our land, the presidency of the United States. Can you guess the name of this man? He was born in New Hampshire in 1804. And in his early teens, he was an associate of Nathaniel Hawthorne and William Wadsworth Longfellow. After serving in the state legislature, he was offered a cabinet position under President James K. Polk. This he declined, preferring to volunteer for military service in the Mexican War. He served with distinction and bravery, and his war record was a decisive factor in making him a presidential candidate. Elected in 1852, his administration was marked by the growth of the slavery controversy and the signing of the treaty with Japan. Now, you should have his name by now, but in case you don't, here's one more important clue. Many important men were competitors for his nomination, including Stephen Douglas and James Buchanan. It was not until the 49th ballot that his party nominated him 
as its candidate. Yes, he was Franklin Pierce, 14th President of the United States. His life is part of your American heritage. Two of tonight's story, The Fixer. From what we had gathered, Wally Gregg was our one possible link with Fred Dunkirk. We had him go over his story several times, recounting his activities of the 14th. Like I told you before, my date and I were in the movies all that afternoon. You don't have to believe me, ask her. He named a Claire Wallace as his date. Agent Reynolds checked out on Miss Wallace. Steve, she confirms Wally Gregg's story, every detail of it. At that moment, things looked dismal for us. As we were to learn later, they didn't seem any brighter to Dunkirk. I don't like the way things look, Dolan. Now, how do they look? It's taking too long. Let me worry about that. Sure, let you while I'm sitting here going nuts listening to those chickens and that crazy old dame cackling. I don't know which is worse. I know what's worse than all this put together. Oh, don't give me that again. You don't want to face the truth. I want to get out of here now. Nobody's stopping you. Go ahead, leave. How far do you think you'd get? Your face is on every post office bulletin board. Go ahead. All right, all right. But I want to talk to Wally. And soon... That can wait with everything else. It can't. Look, when are you going to stop arguing, wasting your breath? I told you Wally was questioned by the FBI. And you said he came out okay. That doesn't mean they're through with him. If he makes one slip, if he gives him a chance to tie him to you, that's the finish. Everything's going along fine so far. Don't spoil it. I'll be back to see you in a couple of days. The next time, Dolan, just be sure you come back with good news. Don't huh? worry. The next time, everything will be different. Huh? Oh, you're leaving so soon, Mr. Dolan? I'll have to go back to town. Oh, why don't you stay for supper? Chicken and dumplings. Yeah, thanks, but I gotta go. Uh, he been giving you any trouble? He's upset. I understand. My Albert used to be the same way when he was in trouble. Then I used to comfort him and protect him. That's what mothers are for, Mr. Dolan. Oh, uh, by the way, his second week's board is due. And uh, not, not that I'm rushing you, you understand? Uh, yeah. But the 100. Thank you. It's a labor of love taking care of these boys you send me, Mr. Dolan. Uplifting. Oh, I'll miss Fred when you have that alibi all set up, when you bring him back to town. There's not going to be any alibi. Oh? And he'll never get back to town alive. Well, isn't that a pity? I don't call $20,000 a pity, do you? Uh, no. Not if I was to get my share. <laughs> my, you're a money-loving old biddy. <laughs> well, well, maybe I am, Mr. Dolan, but... Who's going to look after me in my old age if I don't? Go ahead, Wally. Have another drink. Well, thanks. I had enough, Mr. Dolan. You uh, got something on your mind. So have you. Now, what makes you think that? Well, you didn't ask me up here just to give me a couple of drinks. Wally, you're a smart young fellow, but I don't understand one thing. What's that? How you got mixed up with a lug like Fred Dunkirk? Now, what kind of talk is that? It's the truth, and you know it. Dunkirk is a two-bit penny anti-lug. Now, wait a minute. He's a friend of mine. Friend? He'd sell you down the river just as soon as look at you. I'm going. 
Uh, you can go after I tell you a few things if you want to. I don't want to hear anything about Fred from you. All right, then listen to what I have to say about you. What? About what will happen to you when Dunkirk's caught. Caught? You don't think he can get away with this, do you? But you're supposed Set up an alibi for him? Be easier to find a needle in a haystack. There is no such alibi. And this was all a front. You're not going to help him. Even a miracle couldn't help him. It's different with you, Wally. We're not talking about me. You want to talk sense? We are. Dollars and cents. What? With Dunkirk along, what chance do you think you'd have to spend that money? With him along, you'd get picked up so fast, make your head swim. What are you trying to say? That Dunkirk is cooked no matter what you do. What I do? You know where the money is hidden, don't you? Well, I... You know where we can lay our hands on it. If you think... I don't think you want to spend the next ten years in prison. Maybe not, but I'm not double-crossing a friend. He'd do the same to you without batting an eyelash. I said you're a smart young fellow. Start using your brains give yourself a chance. You're in the clear now. You can stay in the clear. And have $10,000 in your pocket. You mean split with you? I mean a safe and sound business proposition. No one will know where the money came from. Fred will. Don't worry about him. He won't be around to mention it. So you see, you'll be safe all around. What do you say, Wally? I knew you were after something, but I didn't expect anything like this. I I, I don't know what to say. I'll have to think about it. Oh, sure, Wally. I understand. You think about it and let me know. One weak link in Wally Gregg's alibi was the girl, Claire Wallace. After we had questioned her closely for several days, she came to an important decision. I figured I'd better tell the FBI the truth before I got into it too deep. And the story you told me, all a lie? Yeah. Honest, I haven't slept since then. I kept thinking about it and worrying until I almost went crazy. You weren't with Wally Gregg that day. Or any other day. Why did you lie? I... I was paid. Things have been tough. I thought it was some easy money. It was the hardest of my life. I didn't spend a cent of it. It's still home in my drawer. I'm going to put it in an envelope and mail it back. To Greg? No. No, he didn't give it to me. What? I never even met him. He was just described to me. Who paid you? I'd, I'd rather not tell. As long as you know the true story, does it make any difference? It makes a great deal of difference, Miss Wallace. You're afraid to tell, is that it? Yeah. I heard what happens to people who talk too much. I heard about this girl last year who had acid thrown in her face. We'll do everything to protect you. Acid in her face? I promise you'll never be revealed as our source. Gee, I, I don't know. What makes you think they won't cause you trouble anyway? Maybe they feel you know too much already. I thought of that. Well, then you're much better off telling us, aren't you? Miss Wallace? His name is Dolan. Dolan? Charlie Dolan. He's the boss down in the Fifth Ward. He's always making deals, fixing things. Charlie Dolan. Whenever anybody's in trouble or needs a special favor, they go to Charlie Dolan. He'll fix anything for a price. He's the one who paid me to lie, to alibi for Wally Gregg. Did he tell you why he wanted an alibi for Gregg? No, and I didn't ask. You're not supposed to ask Charlie Dolan questions. Well, we will, when the time comes round. <laughs> still kept our aim on our prime target, Fred Dunkirk. Questioning Dolan could wait. Having no other course, we hoped he would eventually lead us to Dunkirk, so we kept him under constant surveillance. Hello? Wally, Mr. Dolan. Oh, Wally, how are you? 
much better now. I take that to mean you came around to my way of thinking. That's right. Good. Then let's get it finished as soon as possible. Fine with me. Tonight? All right. You'll have the money. You'll be here at my place at ten. I'll have it. I would, didn't I? Just wanted to be sure. Can I fix you a drink? Later, business first. That's the way I feel about it. What? Business first. Always. Fred. I know it isn't polite to point, especially with a gun. Now, now look, Fred. Wally, I think he's curious about how I happen to be invited to this party. You're the host. You tell him. I invited him, Mr. Dolan. Ma Fergus couldn't make it. She's with her chickens in one of the coops. Look, Fred, I don't know what he told he you. He told me everything. That's what friends are for. Help each other. Why don't you listen to my side of the story before you do anything hasty? What I'm going to do isn't hasty. I gave it a lot of thought on the way into town. You and I, Dolan, are going for a ride in the country. Only one of us isn't coming back. Guess which one. Okay, Wally, open the door. Dunkirk and Dolan didn't get much farther than the door. Agent Reynolds and I were waiting just a few feet down the hall. Ma Fergus was found later unconscious in one of her chicken coops. She was tried separately for knowingly harboring a criminal. Because of his past record, Fred Dunkirk's punishment was a foregone conclusion. He is now serving a life sentence. Wally Gregg and Charlie Dolan were given sentences in proportion to their part in the crime which attempted to dodge justice by using... The Fixer. played the part of Fred Dunkirk. Harold Huber was Charlie Dolan. This radio dramatization for the FBI and Peace and War was written by Ed Adamson. These programs are produced and directed by Betty Mandeville. All names and characters used on the program are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. This program is based upon Frederick L. Collins' copyrighted book, The FBI in Peace and War. And the broadcast does not imply endorsement, authorization, or approval by the Federal Bureau of Investigation. You're listening to WSHDLP Eastport. That was a 1950 episode of the FBI in Peace and War, entitled The Fixer.
that we broke apart You broke my aching, bleeding heart You know I'll always love you so Sweetheart, won't you mend my aching heart Spent tears and grieving for you, dear They all have been for you in vain I wish I'd always have you near Sweetheart, won't you ease my aching pain you, madame, just as meek as a lamb, just to tell you I'm always at your service, madame. I can scramble an egg, I can open a clam, and remember I'm always 
at your service, madam. And it wouldn't be hard to be your bodyguard to protect you with my I'll be observant, but as a servant, I'd be too fervent about your charms if you're lonely some night. And you know where I am. Call me up and you'll find me at your service, madam. We heard At Your Service, Madam, Bob Crosby and his orchestra in 1935. Before that, Won't You Mend My Aching Heart, Cliff Bruner from 1944. Thank you, dear friends. This concludes today's show. On behalf of Around the World's staff of researchers, recording engineers, interns, and Victrola technicians, this is Cracklin' Jane. Thank you, and see you next week.